Shall we pray? May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, Father, you who are our strength and our resource. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So this fellow comes up to a cabbie in New York City, and he says to the cabbie, take me to London. The cabbie driver says to him, there is no possible way for me to drive this cab across the Atlantic. Oh, the customer insists, oh, sure there is. You drive me down to the pier, and we'll get on a, ta- a taxi on a freighter, and when we get off in Liverpool, you'll drive me to London, and I'll pay you whatever the meter says. So the driver agrees. And they arrive in London. And good to his word, the passenger pays the total of the meter and gives him $1,000 to boot. So now the driver is driving his taxi around London and doesn't know what he's going to do. And a Britisher hails him and says, I want you to drive me to New York. The cab driver can't believe his good luck. How often can you pick up a fare in London who wants to go to New York? The passenger says, see, first you take the boat. driver says, look, I know exactly how to do it. But where do you want to go in New York? The cab driver asks the Britisher. I want to go to Riverside Drive and 10th Street. And the driver responds, sorry, I don't go to the west side. How about us as the church? Do we refuse to go to the west side? Do we miss... Great opportunities. Mark's gospel, as we looked at briefly in chapter 2, is an exciting gospel. One of my favorites. And as you look in the first couple of chapters, you notice some things about Mark that's very typical. It's fast-paced. It's action-paced. The word immediately or right away in the Greek occurs many times throughout the gospel of Mark. It's zip, 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 go, go, go. Fast acting. I love it. Likely Mark's gospel was one of the first ones written. There is within Mark's gospel a balance, a biblical balance between two things, faith in Jesus Christ and loving action, according to one writer. Faith in Jesus Christ and loving action. Mark is a significant contributor to the gospel witness in this regard. Now, simple action in the first part of Mark is that as soon as the disciples are called in the first chapter, right after that he begins to do a healing ministry. And three different quick and succession ministries of healing take place until we get to our story this morning. And the story this morning furnishes, in part, that balance between the gospel, witness of Jesus, and loving action. Now, you notice that in front of chapter 2, as was read for us so beautifully, that Jesus has returned to Capernaum. Uh, actually, in the first chapter, you discover that because of some of the healing events, he was forced into, away from the city, away from the busyness, because his popularity was growing a little too fast, and he needed a little space. And so he leaves the city of Capernaum. But in chapter 2, things have sorted out a little bit, and he returns to the city. But it's just apparently as busy as it was earlier. 
the people had heard that Jesus had come home. For he was away for a few days due to the pressure of the news that was spread about him. It is imperative that Jesus came back. Back to the interaction. Back to demonstrate his position in the Godhead. Back to present that he was a healer and that he could deal with sin. And today's experience, as listed in the text, is essential to that demonstration of these two things between Jesus, the God, and action, the action that can be taken. So we notice that Mark indicates Jesus quietly came back amongst the people, and that there was also some opposition in the ministry, in the, in the, to his ministry in the text, which we'll look at. For in chapter 2, verse 6, those uh, of some uh, hmm, authority, let's say, those who kind of understood Jewish history and, and uh, the nature of God they thought, said that as Jesus met this man in this home, it is impossible what he has just said and what he's doing. And we'll get that in a few moments. But there is a point here in these few verses that's important for us to look at just briefly in this noisy, busy place. So here's the setting. In a Palestinian home at the time, in the morning, at the very beginning of the day, the door was opened. Apparently everybody opened their door. There was no step, there was no walkway. Very often it was the edge of the house was the door, and when it was opened, it was an invitation that anyone could come in. The door was opened, we can go in. And in poorer homes, there was no hallway even. The door opened directly to the street. And so we find this morning in our text that because of Jesus' appearance in this home, the crowd gathered right tightly around the door. And they were all listening with intent to his teaching or preaching, as the text says, in this home. They gathered quickly, filled the house, jammed the pavement, jammed the street, so they could hear what Jesus had to say. Now, there is also within the text something we can't touch on very long, but it has to do with this idea of Jesus' popularity. And in Mark's gospel, he talks about what some have referred to as the messianic secret. And the Messianic secret simply meant that in the early part of Mark, Jesus intended to try to keep who he was as the Godhead quiet so that the public demonstration and all the crowds would be less. And actually in Mark's gospel, this idea of who Jesus really was was not mentioned until chapter 8 and I think verse 8 or 9, oh, sorry, verse 29, when he finally says to Peter, who do you say, who do men say that I am? Right until that part, near the end of Mark, uh, there's sort of a sense of kind of keeping things quiet, what's called messianic secret. And so he wanted to preach, he wanted to concentrate just on who he was, the Son of God. So this morning I'm asking you, what does this story tell us about Jesus, about God, and about our church today? What does it tell us? Uh, on your sheets, there's a verse right at the very top of, the, of your, if you're using the worksheet, and it says, and through from uh, Colossians 1.20, and 
through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, all things, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So we have a definition of the task of Jesus. But what do we learn about Jesus? To answer these questions, we need to look a little bit at the story Mark tells about the paralytic. For our church, Ebenezer needs also to get first things first. And the first thing I want to mention to you this morning from this story is that the man on the mat, the man who was a paralytic, the man who was brought in had friends. He had friends. Verse 3. We're not really sure of his disease. We just know that he couldn't walk. He had no means of getting to Jesus. Not only because of his disadvantage, but because of the crowds. But somewhere, someday, in that opportunity, some, in some coffee shop in Capernaum, a few friends gathered and said, what are we going to do about our friend? Is there anything we can do? As they huddled and talked. How can we help? For Jesus' popularity even though in Mark's idea it was being resisted that he get not get to be known too much, his popularity was still growing, and around the coffee shops and the apple barrel barrels in the malls, Jesus' popularity was being talked about. And these guys were saying, you know what? I think we can help our friend. But what can we do? These friends provided an opportunity for a story. And yes, their faith is important. There is a debate that continues today about whose faith brought the man to Jesus. The faith of his friends or the faith of the man. I'm not going to solve that debate this morning, but I will touch on it in a few moments briefly. Was he coming to Jesus because of his own faith or theirs that prompted him to get there? It was their determination which apparently sees them not being withheld from doing the tax task they were set out to do. Their determination is evident. But when they arrived at the place, they were barred because of the things I've described, and they couldn't get close to the house. What do we do? We had good intentions. You know, we met, we talked, we prayed. We have a plan. Why, it's impossible. What are we going to do? And you know, of course, the story of how they solved the predicament by going and tearing away the tiles and bringing him in through the roof. Here's a model for us today, is it? Oh, not necessarily going through tile roof, but friends carrying out a task on behalf of another friend. Do you have such a friend today who's in need? Even as you're here this morning in the service and you're thinking of this own experience that Mark tells us, all of a sudden does your mind go to a friend who's got a challenge in their abilities, their inability to accomplish Something this morning, today, this week. Or maybe it's you who are challenged. And you are alone. And you are desperate. And we need a friend. Although the North American Indians had no written alphabet before they met the white man, their language was anything but primitive. The vocabulary of many Indian nations was as large as that of their French and English explorers. And often their language, although unwritten, was more eloquent. Compare the coldness 
of the word friend with this quote, one who carries my sorrows on his back. One who carries my sorrows on his back. There's a characteristic about friendship that conquers barriers that we alone fail to overcome. The time for friendship seems all too scarce in our society. I'm too busy. I've got my family. I've got this. I've got that. In Matthew 25, several verses are these. Matthew 25, beginning at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we need to feed you? When were you thirsty? When did we give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in? needing clothes, and when did we clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison? And he replied, as you've done this to the least of these by brothers and sisters, you have done it unto me. I found over the years that relationship, relationship has been in many places where I have lived. Judy and I have moved around. By God's grace and by His wisdom, we've pastored and been involved in a number of churches. We've deeply immersed ourselves in the family, in the love, in the love, in the care. And then God, by some wisdom of His only, has said to me, George and Judy, I want you to move on. But the thing that we have found over these years is that relationships are what lasted more than the color, or have added support, sorry, that have added to the color and the texture of my journey in those places. It has been relationship. Relationships have lasted more than the work or the hobby or the success of driven actions. Relationship. He had a friend. He had friends. From childhood, Albrecht Drurer wanted to paint. Finally, he left home to study with a great artist. He also met a friend who had the same desire, and the two of them became roommates. Both being poor, they found it difficult to make a living and to study at the same time. Albrecht's friend offered to work while Albrecht studied to help pay the rent. So then, when the paintings began to sell, he would have a chance. Well, after much persuasion, Albrecht Drurer agreed. And he worked faithfully while his friend toiled long hours making a living for both of them. The day came when Albert sold a wood carving. And his friend went back to his paints only to find out that the hard work that he'd been doing for the both of them had stiffened and twisted his fingers, and he could no longer paint with skill. When Albrecht learned 
of what had happened to his friend, he was filled with great sorrow. One day he returned to their home unexpectedly and he heard the voice of his friend and saw the gnarled, toil-worn hands fold in prayer before him. He is heard to have said, I can show the world my appreciation by painting his hands as I see them right now, folded in prayer. It was this thought that inspired Albrecht Dürer when he realized that he could never give back to his friend the skill that had left his hands. Dürer's gratitude was captured in his inspired painting that has become world famous. And we are blessed by both the beauty of the painting and the beautiful story of friendship from those years. The second thing I want to share this morning as we look at the story is that he had a disease. The disease is not really explained. As I mentioned, it was paralysis and he couldn't walk. And we know not a lot else, but you know this morning, does it really matter what the disease was? Does it matter that we aren't told by Mark what the ailment was, for disease is disease. And illness is illness, and disease is also measured by sin. As I prayed early this morning, disease is multitudinous, manifold, mighty, and all over the place. And disease affects us as it did this man. And as negative as his disease may be, the story is based on a person's disease, on a stretcher, paralyzed. It provides a story that Mark gives us and an understanding of the nature of God. As I mentioned earlier, the issue of the leaders watching now comes into focus. And they're confused about this person preaching in this house because of what he says and does. Jesus came to this earth to reveal who God is and also the miracle worker that he is. And sometimes negative and debilitating illnesses and poverty, etc., are sometimes used as occasions by God to bring us to a deeper awareness of who he is. When we're open to the healing and loving nature of God, we can benefit, as it were, from disease. And for many, sin, disease, and other problems contribute to the needs that are around us here at Ebenezer. Oh, there may not be a paralytic on a mat here or even in our community that we know about. But as interesting as Mark relates the story to us that there is this juxtaposition between a physical ailment and the man's heart. The paralytic man was also conscious of his sin. He was Jewish. He was Hebrew as far as we understand. And of course their understanding was that the cause of sickness was sin, and that the forgiveness of sins was a prior condition to healing, according to Barclay's testimony and translation. And so when the man was brought to Jesus, it's possible he was thinking not about his physical ailment, but his sin. 
It may have been in part why he himself had not come to Jesus. I cannot face this man, this Son of God, who can deal with my sin. They brought him for healing. He rather came for forgiveness. He acknowledged his need at disease. Are you in need this morning, my friend at Ebenezer, for forgiveness? Is there a disease that is still influencing your body and your mind and your heart this morning that others don't know about, that they couldn't see? You're not on a mat. But your heart is hard. There's a disease. It influences what you think. It influences what you do. It influences the relationship between spouses or between parents and children or between families. The disease of the heart. The bitterness that's there. For some of you, it may be a disease of the heart that's gone on for years, that even is sourced in family disorganization, family, what we call family disintegration, that's so prevalent in our society today. It may be a, a, there may be a cause, if someone was able to help you, why you feel and act the way you do. And Jesus, who is the Son of God, is the healer of disease and of sin and forgiveness. Forgiveness is the healing. Chris Carrier of Coral Cables, Florida, was abducted when he was 10 years old. His kidnapper, angry with the boy's family, burned him with cigarettes and stabbed him numerous times with an ice pick and then shot him in the head and left him to die in the Everglades. Remarkably, the boy survived, though he lost the sight of one eye, and no one was ever arrested for the crime against this 10-year-old. Many years later, a man was arrested because he confessed to the crime. Carrier, now a youth minister in a church in Florida, went to see the man after he confessed. He found David McAllister, then 77 years old, an ex-convict, frail and blind himself, living in the North Miami Beach nursing home. Carrier began visiting him often, reading to McAllister from the Bible and praying with him. His ministry opened the door for McAllister to make a profession of faith. No arrest was ever forthcoming. Because after those many, many years, the statute of limitations and the crime had long passed. It's quoted about this carrier says, While many people can't understand how I could forgive David McAllister, from my point of view, I couldn't not forgive him. If I'd chosen to hate him all these years and spent my life looking for revenge, then I couldn't be the man that I am today. And the man my wife and my children love. The man God has helped me to be. Why might you come to Jesus today? Here in his presence, in this service, you've been prayed about and prayed for and God has been sung about and he's present and we've confessed that he's present with us because he's in need meeting God. Philippians, Paul writes, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. In Christ Jesus. Thirdly, this morning and finally, 
he had Jesus. Here was an opportunity. He met Jesus. The man was lowered down in front of Jesus and in front of all the crowd. But who was this Jesus? He was not concerned. But as I mentioned, some were. And some of those leaders watched what happened and heard Jesus say, your sins are forgiven and challenged the idea that only God can forgive sins. There's a similar experiences of these same people questioning John the Baptist in Luke and in John chapter 1. They saw with their own theological roots some problem with what Jesus said. And of course, our Lord quickly in the dialogue straightened it out and said, okay, then I won't mention forgive sins. I will just cause him to rise up and take his bed and walk. And the man walked out. You see, because they were saying if Jesus was not divine, then he was a blasphemer. For he must either be God or mad or bad. That's the choices that there are. What do you think of Jesus this morning? Is he God? Is he mad? Is he bad? The connection between Jesus and God is still a problem for people in our community today. What is the relationship between Jesus and God? Jesus clears up their concerns. Does he clear up yours? For, he wrote, for Hebrews wrote about him in Hebrews 2, 17, For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of all people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are also being tempted. What of this tension between who Jesus is today in our society and God the Father, Creator? Have you solved that tension in your life? Have you figured out who Jesus is? Have you come to the point of acknowledging Him as Lord and Savior and say, yes, I understand you are God and you are healer. You are the author and creator of the earth and you heal and forgive me. Have you got to that point this morning? If we believe this process of reconciliation was God's initiative for the world and for our world, then we become partners in reconciliation through our various ministries, our various spiritual gifts used here in Ebenezer. If you believe in that, we are partners. And so this morning, my invitation is simply this. Realizing that this Jesus is God. We at Ebenezer are in what has been called an in-between time, as Lyle mentioned a few weeks ago. And I believe it is really easy for us in our busy lives and even in the lives of our congregation, our church life, to, to focus our eyes on our particular conundrum, our particular concern, our particular waiting for the call of a senior pastor. Friends, we can take our eyes off the community, and the needs, and the paralytic, and the sinners that are around us in our business, around us next to our home, that are around us up and down these streets. Our eyes can be focused on a particular problem that by God's grace will be solved. Amen? Amen. Amen. And our eyes need to be fixed not on our own kind of when, Father, when, but out there where people are having experiences of disease and loss and pain 
and need you as a friend and me as a friend. And need for you and me to interpret the person of Jesus as the healer in our lives, in our actions. Oh, and by the way, our church is looking for a pastor. That we be careful, my friends. Opportunity is knocking on our hearts and our lives, whatever age we are. And there are those about us who do and cannot figure out who this Jesus is. But you know. You're in that room. You're part of that crowd. You were called to that experience in that home because you heard who he is. And you wanted to hear his preaching. You know. Let's this morning as a congregation visually lift our eyes up off. Off the concerns of a particular moment in our history. Off of wondering about the search committee. I thank you that you're praying for them. Wondering about what they're doing. And simply look about us. The fields are white unto harvest and opportunity knocks. And Jesus needs us to have the vision that sees the disease. Because we know the curer. We know the healer. We have discovered the connection that the almighty creator God heals still today. While those wait with their disease to be cured. They need us. Let's get on with it. Let's be the people of God in this hour, at this time, in this place. Shall we pray? Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for each dear person, young and not so young alike, every teen, every child, every senior, everyone who has in their hearts the love of Jesus this morning in this place. Thank you, Lord, that we can be the church at this time in the life of Ebenezer. And for the call on our lives to be that church with hope and joy and anticipation and a simple cup of water. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship. Continue together.